The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Today is um, a special service because it's the first time here at ICC we're installing um, deacons, as Joseph mentioned. And so we're going to um, look at the Word first for about uh, uh, 25 minutes or so. I'm going to preach a little shorter, then uh, offer an opportunity for Pastor Peter to come up. So let's, let's actually take the Scripture reading, and then I'll go on a little bit more about how the service is going to unfold here. The text comes from Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 6, and this is going to pretty much wrap up our discussion on service in the church, this series that we've entitled Useful Hands. And so in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 6, it reads, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Let's pray. Father, as we install these deacons today, we invite your presence here, um, that your anointing would be upon them, to be able to serve faithfully, serve humbly, serve well, and to really represent your heart in the ministries that they are going to oversee. And so we pray that as an entire church, that as we keep shaping the, the nature of the ministry that we're doing here, that we would grasp the bigger picture of the mystery and the beauty of the local church and what you intended for us to experience as a community together. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And so as I mentioned, today we are installing deacons. And so a little bit later on, I'm going to hand things over to our executive pastor, Peter, who is the primary one who will be working with the deacon board. And he's going to share a bit more about the details of this newly formed deacon board and how the ministries are going to be structured around these new deacons that we're appointing, as well as to introduce you to the deacons themselves. Uh, But before we do that, I do want to share briefly about what the Bible teaches us about deacons. In many ways, you could make the argument that functionally we have been operating with deacons. It's just we haven't been using that title deacon up to now. We've been calling it ministry teams and the ministry heads of those teams. But as you'll see in the presentation we're going to give today, by formalizing it into deacon board, it's not just a semantic issue where we're just changing titles, but it's going to also ramp up some of the expectations that we've traditionally had on these lay leaders in the church. Let's start here, though, with Acts chapter 6. The text I've chosen for this morning for the deacon installation ceremony And for this service, doesn't actually mention the title deacon at all in it. 
But I think there's some pretty strong general agreement uh, by New Testament scholars that these seven men that are mentioned here in Acts 6 that were chosen by the apostles are exactly what the Bible has in mind when it talks about deacons. A serious situation had arisen in the church in Jerusalem that needed to be addressed. You know, back in those days of the early church, it was really like a family, uh, a real family, where people would pool their resources. As, you can, as, as many of you know, by reading the book of Acts, people would even cash out their estates and place the money from the sale of their property at the feet of the apostles so that it could all go for the common good. This was the level and the depth of the sacrifice that was being made by many of these early Christians. And so it was this unbelievable picture of sacrifice and generosity and sharing and unity. And, and so they would look after the poor and the elderly and anyone else who couldn't care for themselves and had, had no livelihood in those days. And while that paints a beautiful picture of sacrifice and unity, there was also a darker side that emerged very quickly as well. I think there's a real danger when we read the New Testament to sort of idealize the early church as if it was the perfect church, but it wasn't. You, you only have to read the New Testament to discover that in as much as there was all kinds of beauty in that church, there was also a lot of human problems just like we experience Today And so in this regular distribution of food for the widows, what happened was that these Jewish leaders began to show favoritism for their own Jewish widows. And they would give more to them, and they began to discriminate against this minority Greek-speaking widow community. Now this was a serious problem. And it could undermine the integrity of this newly formed community, and it needed to be addressed right away. But it's noteworthy that the apostles chose not to get directly involved with this matter. They didn't decide that they were going to be the ones to fix the problem. Instead, they appointed others to oversee that work. And the reason they gave is really important. In verses 2 to 4 of the passage that I just read, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They understood that their primary calling as leaders in the church was to the ministry of prayer and the preaching of God's word. And so what they were basically saying was, we have to protect this calling and make sure that we don't get dragged into other matters of the church that could compromise what God has called us primarily to do as your leaders. I just want to show you uh, a brief video clip that's going to run about two, three minutes of an interview with this church leader named Paul Tripp who really emphasizes this truth. So let's have a look at that brief video, and then I'll go on. I think the church in America today uh, seems to operate on this very dangerous pattern of a successful ministry, usually a megachurch, that sort of rises to prominence in the national stage. And then this ministry will typically start hosting pastor's conferences and publish books to teach struggling pastors how to follow their methods 
in the hopes of achieving the same success that they've experienced. I've attended enough pastors' conferences in my own lifetime to know that this is the pattern here in the church in America. But as the apostles point out, at the heart of leadership in the church is the prayer life of the elders and the ministry of teaching God's word to God's people. In his book, The Contemplative Pastor, Eugene Peterson references Herman Melville's classic, Moby Dick. The scene is of whalers fighting turbulent waves in a small whaleboat, chasing after this great white whale named Moby Dick. And every muscle is being stretched in these sailors to the limit as they frantically row against these strong waves in pursuit of their prey. And then this is what Peterson writes. In this boat, however, there is one man who does nothing. He doesn't hold an oar. He doesn't perspire. He doesn't shout. He is languid in the crash and the cursing. This man is the harpooner, quiet and poised, waiting. And then this sentence from Melville. To ensure the greatest efficiency in the dart, the harpooners of this world must start to their feet out of idleness and not out of toil. Melville's sentence is a text to set alongside the psalmists. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46, verse 10. And alongside Isaiah's, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Isaiah 30, 15. History is a novel of spiritual conflict. In such a world, noise is inevitable and immense energy is expended. But if there is no harpooner in the boat, there will be no proper finish to the chase. Or if the harpooner is exhausted, having abandoned his assignment and become an oarsman, he will not be ready and accurate when it is time to throw his javelin. (laughs) I first encountered these words over 20 years ago. And ever since, this picture of the harpooner has captured my imagination and helped me to understand what it means to be a pastor an elder in the church. I think the truth is we live in a world of people frantically rowing, struggling with the waves, exhausted from the pursuit. And I would argue that that's probably an accurate description of many of you even here at ICC. Sometimes it feels like we're all just treading water, trying not to drown in the busyness of 21st century life in America. And it seems like many times in that urgency of everything that we have to get done, all we can see is what is right in front of us, right? That's it. And to be honest, I feel that constant pull toward that same life, a frantic struggling, a busy life of moving from one meeting or appointment after another to the next, an endless stream of projects and tasks. But here is also a a truth. I cannot stand up here behind this pulpit week after week and preach God's word with any depth of conviction from a place of busyness and exhaustion. In other words, in this boat, 
I have to jealously guard my role as a harpooner. And it sounds so indulgent and so unfair. But even when everyone is rowing, (laughs) there are times when I have to sit there with my arms folded. Because when I have to throw that spear, I have to be in a place where I can do that. In other words, I cannot reach our destination exhausted. I, if I don't immerse myself in God's word throughout the week and find times to steal away alone times with God, honest to God, I don't have the conviction to preach behind this pulpit, whatever the text is for that week. And I'm going to tell you, it's not always easy to do this. Last night, I got a call at 7, inviting me to go watch the World Series. (laughs) You don't know how much this is killing me. (laughs) You know what I was doing when the Cubs clinched at NLCS? I was preaching. (laughs) Didn't get to watch that game. So last night, I had to say, sorry, I'm working on the sermon. I can't come. I must be the harpooner. And I think this is the dynamic that these apostles recognized, is we have a special calling to teach the Word of God to God's people. And we have a special call to be in the ministry of prayer. And so this is an important issue. They weren't minimizing it. And notice that the apostles didn't say, don't worry about it. We'll pray and teach our way through this problem until it gets resolved. They didn't even say that. They realized that some practical intervention was needed. Next slide. Yeah. Uh, that practical intervention was needed to deal with the matter. And so they appointed seven capable men who could be entrusted to handle it wisely. You see, the church is a community, and like every community, It has real needs that must be met. Divisions arise. Ministries have to be staffed. Members don't see eye to eye and fight with one another. Discrimination is found. And this is what I believe precisely where deacons are called to serve the church. It's interesting that elders are given very clear instructions on the nature of their role in the church throughout the New Testament. Things like teaching God's word, praying for the sick, shepherding the saints, governing the, 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 the affairs of the church. But interestingly, the Bible never gives us a job description for deacons. It's strikingly silent on the matter. And I believe that is because there isn't actually a specific job description for deacons. Instead, as we see here in Acts 6, deacons are simply to serve at the discretion of the elders in whatever capacity they believe is necessary, speaking of the elders, for the church to function as a healthy community. The Bible simply doesn't give us any kind of blueprint for this, but simply leaves it up to the wisdom of the elders to appoint deacons as they see fit to be able to lead the church well. In Ephesians 4, we saw how elders are called to equip God's people to do the work of ministry. Well, I think if we look at the schema, we can add the role of deacon 
as an additional level of leadership between the elders and the members who oversee this work of ministry that the members are doing. Particularly as we look at this passage in Acts 6, there is a danger, I think, of seeing deacons as nothing more than workhorses in the church. And the truth is, that's what deacons often become, is burnt out, exhausted workhorses that are worked to death. And then when they die, you just find another horse, you know, and strap them up there and get them working while this deacon goes to look for another church where they can recuperate, right, and find healing. It's this idea that the deacons are supposed to do the grunt work so that the elders can freed up to do the real spiritual work, right, in the church. After all, doesn't verse 2 seem to equate deacons with waiters serving on tables, right? Uh, But that would be a serious misreading of this passage. The responsibility that these men were given was actually very great if you think about it. They were entrusted with working out a very tense and difficult situation where one group in the church was being discriminated against another group uh, based on their ethnic background. And that's why these men were supposed to have a good reputation and, quote, be full of the spirit and of wisdom. You know, when you read through the qualifications of a deacon in the Bible, it doesn't read like this. A deacon must have advanced training in Microsoft Word and Excel, must be proficient in at least two musical instruments and have perfect pitch, must have sturdy legs and a solid core, you know, (laughs) because they're going to lift a lot of tables, you know. (laughs) In fact, the qualifications of deacons don't focus on skills and competency at all. But surprisingly, the description, the job, the, the uh, qualification is almost identical to that of elder. 1 Timothy 3, verse 8 to 13 says, In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. You see, the focus is completely on character and spiritual maturity. Gene Getz gives us insight into why this is so important for this role of deacons. He writes, When appointing deacons, the scripture makes it clear that men and women who are entrusted with this kind of responsibility are in essence to be just as qualified as elders and overseers. The reasons are obvious. To delegate responsibilities to people who are not qualified spiritually will not lighten the load for spiritual leaders. Rather, it will only complicate their ministry. In other words, if every time a challenge or a problem arises in the ministries that the deacons are overseeing, they come running to the elders and they solve this. This is, this is something I can't handle. Then it would not make the elders work any easier. That delegation becomes more of a burden. 
Instead, deacons ought to be spiritually mature enough to handle these conflicts and problems in the ministries that they help oversee. You know, the truth is that the situation of discrimination of these widows in Acts chapter 6 that this early church faced, let's be honest, in our modern church today would be largely viewed by most churches as an elder issue, wouldn't it? Say so something like that, it's like the elders have to figure that out. But when you look here in Acts 6, you see how elevated this position of deacon is that the apostles say, really, in essence, let these deacons handle the situation because they ought to be men full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. One of our hopes in developing a deacon board here at ICC is to become a church that is less staff-driven and more member-driven. I think this is a direction that our church has to go. I think actually yesterday's Pumpkin Fest was a great example of this hope. Uh, as many of you may know, for the, since its inception, Pumpkin Fest as an event was really uh, run by one of our staff who's no longer with us, uh, Anissa Ramos, you know? And every year she did this amazing job with it. It was, it, was, it was awesome to watch her put this event together. But as the staff talked about what we were gonna do this year for Pumpkin Fest, we said, you know what? Why don't we see if this event could be handed over to the church members and have them really take this over? And so this year, we're so thankful that church members like Carol and Alice and Lily and many others stepped up to spearhead this event and coordinate the whole thing largely, that the staff really were able to sort of take a back seat and let the church members lead it. And I think that captures well our hope for the future direction of ICC. It's to come into greater alignment with what the New Testament actually teaches us as the pattern of the church. is the elders who are devoting themselves to prayer and the teaching of Scripture and equipping the saints for ministry. And the members who are doing the primary work of ministry in the church and then of deacons who under the authority of these elders oversee these ministries. And I think that is what we need together as a church community to really pray for. That work of the Spirit would be done here in our midst. You know, it's, it's to give you an example of that is when we hired Pastor Peter, we hired him on to not only be the executive pastor, but also the pastor of family ministries. But even after one year, it's been very difficult for us to really grow that part of his responsibility because he is so caught up just trying to take care of all of these little details that keep cropping up in the church. I mean, it's sad to say how much time we had to spend to just get that sign up on the, in front of Palatine there. You know, like he was going to Home Depot like three, four times, bringing every pipe that he could find there. <laughs> this one's too heavy. This one doesn't bend enough. This, we're digging holes in the ground. We thought like, couldn't this be done by a church member, you know? Instead of tying up one of our pastors to go back and forth to Home Depot a dozen times to do this. But we're just honestly not at a place like that as a community right now. But that is our hope, that every one of us as the body of Christ rises up to play our role and do our part. Amen?
So at this time, let me hand things over to Pastor Peter, and he's going to come up and share a little bit about what this picture of deacons, the deacon board, looks like, as well as to introduce to you the deacons themselves. Okay. Um, yeah, so for the, the first nine years of our church history, you know, we've operated really without deacons, as, as Dr. Steve just mentioned. And so you may be asking yourself, why deacons? And why now? And I think it's a good question because titles certainly aren't necessary for service. And as uh, Dr. Steve also mentioned, you know, we've had these team ministry heads for, for many years. We've largely functioned as deacons. But we felt strongly that now was the time really to, to shift towards deacons for, for really three reasons. Uh, one is we're, we're a growing church with growing needs. Um, we've experienced a lot of growth just even moving to this location six months ago. And as ICC continues to grow, there's a growing need for the work and responsibilities of the church to be shared among all the members, not just the staff or a handful of people or even these new set of deacons. Um, a smaller church can get away, I think, with asking a few to shoulder the burdens, but a larger church cannot. And it's not sustainable. Uh, it's not biblical. And so our hope is that as we move to deacons overseeing and leading these different ministries, there will be a higher level of involvement and engagement among um, all of us here in the church. Uh, two, we're seeking to be a more unified church. Um, if the church is the body of Christ, then like a body, we need to be working uh, more together in unison and, and with unity. And so now more than ever, our various ministries need to be working more closely together with one mind, one spirit, so that ICC can really fulfill the larger mission of, of um, really reaching out to the lost and growing our body into greater Christ-likeness. So to that end, the deacons will be meeting monthly uh, to pray for various ministries of the church. And we'll also be collaborating on how we can help one another as we grow and work together instead of working in isolation or in these different pockets of ministry. Uh, third and last, we're seeking to develop more and stronger leaders. Um, our hope is that through the mentorship and training that's provided to our deacons, the more men and women who are um, servant leaders will be raised up to really lead and, and manage the different ministries of our church. Uh, more than being asked uh, to do the grunt work, and as was mentioned, our hope is that they take a more prominent role in leading the ministries by managing the relationships within their team, um, working through conflicts, keeping their teams focused on really accomplishing their stated mission. Uh, and this will allow, again, the staff and elders to focus more on the teaching and equipping ministries as well as leading and casting a vision for the overall church. Um, I know most people are resistant to you know, being conferred a title for a lot of different reasons. And um, I think it's important, though, to remember the titles in the church are biblical, right? Uh, but they're also unique from titles that are found in the world or in the, in the marketplace, you know, in this place, in the church, titles are not to be a source of pride or a license for power. But rather, they're the mark of someone who leads by serving and is qualified by their character. So God tells us that we should actually all aspire to these roles, to these titles, to serve Christ and his church. We should desire it. We shouldn't run from it. And, uh, you know, I'm honored that these five men and women have not run from this calling, but they've embraced it by committing to serve as deacons for, uh, for a two-year term. 
I know it wasn't an easy decision for any of them. Um, I sat down with each of them, and, and, and I, but I think their, their step of faith uh, should be commended. In a moment, I'm going to introduce each of the deacons and also briefly explain um, the ministry that they will oversee. But uh, please keep in mind, uh, if any of these ministries are of interest to you, feel free to reach out to me or to the respective deacon, and we'd be happy to get you plugged in. All, all of them will, really will be needing help to run these ministries. I'm going to do this alphabetically by last name, and after I'm done, Pastor Steve is going to um, have the group come up together and, and, and close out our time uh, um, with corporate prayer. So, First, I want to introduce uh, Greg Asierto. Uh, Greg has attended ICC for almost four years now, and not only has he answered the call to deaconship, but as you can see from his family pick, he's been very faithful in being obedient to God's call to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, Greg and Silly have six beautiful children, uh, Abby, Ava, Madison, Ben, Leo, and Emma, and they also have the distinction of living the closest to church, like a few hundred yards away, so don't judge them if they're late to church. Please remember they do have six kids to get ready. <laughs> but Greg has the heart of a servant. And uh, if you don't see him up on stage playing guitar, he's back in the sound booth mixing or do, really doing whatever is asked of him. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I was, I was least certain about Greg stepping up to serve because not only does he, you know, work a job that requires a lot of travel, but he's also in school as a grad student and he's a super dad. So... It's very hard, I think, to find an excuse to not serve when you look at Greg and, and his family. But Greg will be overseeing our missions and outreach team. And if you don't know him, you'll quickly discover two things about him. He has a big heart uh, for the lost, and he's really a man of prayer. So these are really two important qualities, I think, to lead this particular team. And the mission statement for this team is, is to empower God's people to fulfill our gospel calling to reach the lost with a local focus and a global impact. The team will really serve as a point of contact uh, for overseas missionary relationships, uh, communicating back to our, you know, our body here, what our missionaries are doing, how we can better pray for them. Uh, this ministry will also be charged with planning and executing community outreach events. We've been talking about reaching the local community since our move here, and we're really looking forward to see how those plans kind of get fleshed out through this team. And this team will also be tasked with reaching out to the newcomers at that uh, come to ICC with the love of Christ and the truth of the gospel. So thank you, Greg, for, for answering the call to serve. Uh, next, I want to introduce um, John Hope. He will be leading our finance and stewardship team. And I'm showing these family pics because I, really I want to recognize that this isn't just a sacrifice, obviously, of um, one person. It really involves a commitment um, for the entire family and, and, and especially the spouse. So. Uh, to that extent, I want to recognize not just the person, but their entire family. But John and his wife, Jem, have attended ICC for six years now. And they're the proud parents of two boys, Brennan and Emmett. And I don't think the one in the middle, the big ears, belongs to their family. But John is probably one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Um, he always has a kind word. He's the gift of encouragement. Uh, but he's also um, always got a smile on his face. And... The mission statement for this, uh, the finance and stewardship team is really to faithfully steward the financial resources of the church uh, to support the ministries that God has called our church to with the utmost integrity and clarity. And as our church grows in number, you know, our, our budget is growing, our ministry needs are also growing. So it's really a blessing to have a team of people who are committed to handling our finances in a way that's honoring to the Lord 
and also serve as a sounding board and a safeguard um, for the elders and the church. So in addition to you know, basic bookkeeping and reporting and, uh, reporting and offering management, this team's going to um, also look to really enhance our internal controls, um, implement audit processes to safeguard our assets, and take on special ad hoc projects that are financial in nature, uh, things like feasibility studies on a capital campaign or cost analysis if we were to, in the future, move forward with purchasing a building. Um, unlike the other ministries of our church, however, this ministry does require that you be a member uh, in good standing before you can join. Okay, and next I want to introduce uh, Betty Lee. Betty has been IC- at ICC for, I think, about as long as Dr. Steve has been here, uh, seven years. And they say a church takes on the personality of its pastor. So if you're wondering why we have so many kids here at ICC, look no further than at our pastor and his wife, Betty. Uh, five children, Joy, Noel, Luke, Beth, and Judah, I'm sure uh, you've seen them around. And Betty works as a grade school teacher, um, but her service to the church has really grown over time. And if any of you have come to ICC in the past few years and felt the warmth and welcome of our community, much of it is due to Betty and her leadership with the hospitality and welcoming team. And the mission of this team is to demonstrate the love of Christ by welcoming newcomers into our church and helping them to become an integral part of our body. Uh, This ministry provides all the ushers and greeters you see every Sunday and also welcomes newcomers into our community of faith. Um, they're also, they also handle all the signage to welcome people into our buildings so they don't get lost and oversee the food and refreshments uh, that we enjoy every week. So this is it's such an important part of our relationship building and, and um, fellowship bonding. So thank you, Betty. Uh, next is uh, Juno Park. Uh, Juno, um, I know Dr. Steve mentioned, you know, you don't have to be able to play two instruments and have perfect pitch. Juno plays more than two instruments and has perfect pitch, so he's very qualified. But Juno and his wife, Jenny, have attended ICC for two and a half years, and they're the proud parents of Eli and actually newborn Everly, or Evie. She's, uh, I think, just a few, not even three months old yet. And I think I caught Juno in a moment of extreme fatigue and uh, weakness from having a newborn, but I was so appreciative that he was able to come on board because I know he's so busy and tired with, uh, with uh, having a new, a new baby in the home. But uh, as you already know, Juno's an extremely talented music- musician. He's, he's up here leading uh, many Sundays for us, uh, our work- time of worship. But more than just the role of music, the worship team mission is to lead people into fervent worship and create an atmosphere where worshipers can freely encounter and fully engage with God. And this ministry, um, like I said, is not going to just oversee the musical aspects of our worship, whether it's the, the band or choir or strings or special praise, but we'll really also be charged with overseeing all the aspects related to our Sunday worship service, uh, looking really to enhance our worship program as well as our worship space. So this is really an important ministry. You know, worship is such an important part of our spiritual growth uh, individually and as a body. And and is the one activity that's really going to carry on for all of eternity. And so grateful to have Juno on board to serve in this way. Uh, last but not least, J.U. Um, will be leading our prayer and intercession team. This is probably not going to be a surprise for anyone. She's been at ICC since nearly the beginning for eight years. And as many of you know, she served faithfully as the children's ministry director for five and a half years. And she really did such a great job with that. Uh, since stepping out of that role um, early last year, um, it's been a real blessing to see that how God has used her through the faithful leading of, prayer, of the prayer ministry for the woman at her church for, I think, well over a year now. And um, 
I think ICC is known to have strong, a strong pe- preaching and teaching ministry, but God has really been at work, I think, through this prayer movement here. And it's really formed organically, you know, um, by the Spirit. And so this is a ministry that's already bearing much fruit, and we're excited to see how God continues to grow it um, through her leadership. The, min- the mission statement of this ministry is to engage and empower members to join God at work within our church body, our community, and our world through the ministry of prayer and intercession. And, you know, this, this is really the engine, the fuel for every other ministry at our church because we recognize, as we saw in the video, that really apart from God, um, we can do nothing. So in the near future, we really like to carve out some time and space uh, for anyone to really come up front here after our service concludes and anyone that wants to request and receive prayer to be able to do that with the leadership and this prayer team. This team will also be leading regular prayer meetings as they've really already informally been doing. And um, they'll also be available to serve others in prayer, whether it's doing visitations for those who are seeking prayer support. So please keep that in mind if, if um, if you would like to take advantage of that. Uh, before I finish, I also want to mention a couple of the ministries that are not filled by deacons at this time, but we're hoping and praying that in the future that they will be deacon-led. Uh, one is this facilities ministry, and this, this ministry is really tasked with the setup for our Sunday service, as well as our special events, uh, cleanup of the space that we use. Uh, we'll be sharing that responsibility with NPC to kind of keep our costs down and really ensuring that all of our building and parking needs are being monitored and, and met. Oh, this team will also be responsible for the overall security of the building and all our meetings by putting in place safety protocols, emergency supplies, training for all kinds of you know, emergency or disaster situations. So we're, we'll still have that, but um, you know, obviously that's something that we'd like to beef up in the future. Um, next is the, uh, and lastly, is the arts and media uh, team, which will handle really all the audiovisual needs of our service from sound and video during this time of our service to producing videos for our websites, taking uh, photographs of events. They'll also be responsible for managing our website and all our social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and um, handling graphic design projects for new sermon series or signage or media print. So uh, that's really it. Um, I want to ask that you please keep all these ministries in your prayers and ask that God would raise up um, people, not just to lead it, but to, to really serve in these different capacities. And again, if any of these areas of our interest to you, f- please feel free to reach out to me or the respective deacon, and we'd be happy to get you plugged in. Okay? At this time, I'm going to ask Dr. Steve to come back on stage and just lead us in a time of corporate prayer. Let me at this time invite these deacons that were just presented to you to come forward onto the stage, as well as to invite our elders, Andy and Joseph, to join us here as well. And uh, we're going to just spend a time of prayer for them as they embark on this calling, this work. And so why don't you actually stand up in the front here? Um, And we just want to lift them up to the Lord in prayer at this time. Um, When we look in the New Testament, often when people have been called into special service in different capacities, we see this regular pattern of the laying on of hands and and the saints of God uh, seeking for his anointing uh, upon them for the work that they are called to do. And so I'm going to actually also invite you as a church to stand up, if you would, in joining us in prayer. And we, we're not really used to doing this, but if I could actually ask you, we're going to lay hands on them. I want you to just maybe reach your hands out toward them as a gesture as well of this prayer of anointing. 
And let's just spend some time as a church family praying for these brothers and sisters. And after a few minutes of that prayer, our elder Andy will come and offer a prayer on their behalf. Let's pray for them.